0: Ashton, is Jonathan here? All of you, if you could come forward. Yeah, there we go. Hey, so you guys know that we had a baptism service last week, right? It was our first one here in this building, so we were truly excited to see five people made a public profession of their faith last week. And so I wanted to take a, a moment today just to highlight that again. And so Ashton, tell me, buddy, How old are you? Nine. Say it again? Nine. You're nine years old. Awesome. And so what was it that made you decide to get baptized?
1: Because I wanted the world to know that I love Jesus. Amen. And I I wanted a new life from my old sinful life.
0: Amen, brother. Nice job, dude. Isn't that awesome? When you hear that from a young man, doesn't that encourage you? Awesome. So, David... Tell us to you, what did baptism mean for you? I was baptized when I was eight years old, and um, when I was eight years old, my parents had just gone through a divorce, and my dad was the preacher of that church, and he left. And I knew that I loved God, and I wanted to completely dedicate my life to him in front of that group of people then. But I walked away from God a whole bunch of times, from about 17 on, and I thought, I need to rededicate my life and just do this over again because um, I was the prodigal son over and over and over again, and I came back. And uh, so I just wanted to share it with this family. So. Amen. Awesome. So, Will, I'm going to ask you the same question What did baptism mean for you? Well, it's renewing my life with Jesus, Come, becoming closer to Jesus. Um, I, too, I have been, I was baptized a while back and didn't really know the real meaning of the baptism until last Sunday. And my uh, spirit and myself have been cleansed, cleansed and reborn with Jesus. Amen. Awesome. Thank you guys. So Kimmy and Jonathan couldn't be here today, but when you see them, make sure you love on them too. It's so special to have People dedicate themselves to the Lord in public like that. So I just want to encourage all of you that if you're here today and maybe you're feeling that, like I want to publicly profess my faith, I want to get baptized, (laughs) you can do that too. You can sign up. We've got a sign-up sheet over there. We'd be happy to pull that thing out of the connex and do it again. (laughs) Amen. So we've got a special video for you based on last week. If somebody could hit the lights for us.
2: I don't want to abuse your grace
0: exciting isn't it hey I have to have give one other prop you know the person who put that together was my son who made the video so thank you buddy and I've got a couple of birthdays I wanted to announce today did you know it's we've got two people that their birthday is today so Susan where are you raise your hand for us Actually, it's tomorrow, is it tomorrow <laughs> okay well we can celebrate it today Mike I know yours is today right So could you guys join me? Let's sing them happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear (laughs) Happy birthday to you. All right. Thank you. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 14 through 15 together today. <clears> 2 <throat> Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. All right. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Christ's love, that is what compels us. That's what everything is about right there, his love. It's this love that should compel us to live for him. Every single day, you and I have a choice to make. We can live for me or we can live for him. He gave his very life for us, and our only reasonable response to that is to give our lives to him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says it this way. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. A living sacrifice that is holy, meaning we are to be different from the world. We are to be set apart and dedicated to the Lord and His purposes for our lives. And as we said last week, holiness is God's greatest attribute. It's what sets Him apart from everything. He is perfect, He is pure, and He is set apart from any and all sin. God's holiness is what expresses His awesomeness. And you and I are to be holy because He is holy. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, God's will is for us to be holy. God is holy by nature. It's who he is. But you and I, on the other hand, we can only become holy through a relationship with Jesus. And our holiness, it's a process. And that process continues until we leave this earth. And most people, when they think about holiness, they're thinking about God's laws. Or they're thinking about a whole list of do's and don'ts. But holiness is not just about action or behavior. Holiness is about God's very nature. That's what it's about. And so for us to be holy as he is holy, we simply need to reflect his character in our lives. All too often, people think they've got to give up being happy in order to be holy. But nothing could be further from the truth. Because true happiness is found in holiness nothing will satisfy us more than a relationship with jesus so many things in this world will try to compete with that right there but the reality is a relationship with jesus that is focused on the pursuit of holiness is the only thing that leads to true and lasting joy holiness is not a behavioral issue as much as it is an affection issue So what is your affection towards Jesus? Do you really know him? Because if you know him, you will love him. And if you love him, you will obey him. And if you know, love, and obey him, you will become holy. And as you experience becoming holy, you will experience true joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for such an awesome day. Kicking off service all about baptism, and I'm just like ready to run a mile or something. Just excited, Lord. We give you glory for people who've publicly professed before everyone their faith in you. That is so encouraging to see. I know it's got to bring joy to you and every angel in heaven. So we just thank you for it. I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to receive today what you'd have for us to hear. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now, everyone is moved or motivated by something. So what moves you? Is it money? Is it success? Is it family? Maybe it's friends? Food? Yes. <laughs> hey, <laughs> amen. I like some good food, too. <laughs> some people, it's politics. Some, it's sports. Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe it's love. Or it could be something else altogether. What really moves you as you think about that and come to an answer i hope by the end of this message that you will see and understand what should move us more than anything else because what moved jesus should be what moves us and what we read in the bible over and over again that moved jesus was compassion you've got your hand out that's your first blank it was compassion that moved him Now, when we think of compassion, we may think of having sympathy or empathy for someone when we feel what they feel. But that's only part of it. Yes, compassion does involve us feeling the pain or desperation of someone else. But what sets compassion apart from sympathy and empathy is actually being moved so deeply that we're moved enough to try and do something about it and actually help that person in need. To have compassion is to be moved to our core. Now, it literally means to feel your insides, your guts, if you will, to feel it down here where it's churning inside of you. And you're moved so much so that you want to do something about it to help the other person. That's what compassion is. I like to define it this way. Compassion is feeling plus action working together to help someone in need. It's feeling plus action. It's us feeling their pain and taking action to help relieve that pain. And when we show compassion, we show Jesus. We show Jesus. So to live for him, we have got to show compassion like him. And so how did Jesus show compassion? Well, first, he was sensitive and responsive to the needs of others. And second, he took action on the need that he saw, whatever it was. He gave us the model for compassion that was perfect and complete. It was the compassion that ministered to the whole person, their emotional, physical, and spiritual needs, the whole person. And you can see several examples of this in Scripture. When uh, when Jesus fed the 5,000 and he fed the 4,000 also, both instances were miracles that met physical needs. And they were both motivated by compassion. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is empathetic to a widow. This widow who had just lost her only son. And the word says in Luke chapter 7 verse 13, it says this, his heart overflowed with compassion. And so he tells the women, he says, don't cry. And then he walked over to the coffin of her son And he touched the coffin. He touched the coffin and at that moment he told the young man that was sitting in that coffin, he said, get up. And the young man obeyed and got up. He just brought that widow's son back to life. So he touched the need and he met that mother's emotional needs. She had already lost her husband and now her only son. And so Jesus intervenes in her situation with compassion. Now, you and I can't necessarily meet compassion, you know, meet the needs of people in that way, emotionally, like Jesus did. But we can't just think that compassion is just about meeting someone's physical needs. It's much more than just physical needs. How easy is it for you and I to pull out our wallet and maybe give them some, some money? Or how easy is it for us to sit down with someone and spend some time with someone and give them something or whatever it is? Physical needs are a lot easier to meet. But when it comes to emotional needs oh, this is a lot more challenging. It's a lot more challenging because oftentimes meeting these kinds of needs are going to be inconvenient, and they're going to take a lot more time. But compassion drives us to follow Jesus' perfect example and make the sacrifice that is necessary for others. It can sometimes just be about listening or offering support or prayer for someone, just being there or just walking through their pain with them. Meeting that emotional need. Whatever it looks like, we have got to meet the emotional needs of others. Jesus came to this earth to fulfill his mission to save the lost, but he went above and beyond this mission because of his compassion. And he was genuinely disturbed for the spiritual condition of the people he saw. And we can see this in Matthew chapter 9 and verses 35 through 36. It says here, Matthew records, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He was disturbed about their spiritual needs. We should be disturbed about people's spiritual needs. It's not always about someone being lost. That's important. Don't get me wrong. It's important to help that person get found and get connected to Jesus. But sometimes those who are already in the faith need us to come alongside them and to encourage them. That's what compassion does. It ministers to the whole person by meeting their physical needs emotional, and spiritual needs. Compassion is feeling plus action working together to help someone in need. It's us feeling their pain and then taking action to help them relieve their pain. And when we show compassion, we show Jesus. So to live for him, we need to show compassion like him. Now, one of the greatest examples of compassion in action that you can see is in the story of the good samaritan it's in luke chapter 10 so if you've got your bibles you can turn to luke chapter 10 we'll be here in just a minute but let me just take a moment to set this story up what leads to jesus telling the story of the good samaritan is an expert in religious law who asked jesus this question here's what he says he said what must i do to inherit eternal life that was the question what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we know from Scripture that this guy, man, he had an agenda. What he really wanted to do was test Jesus. He wasn't interested in the answer. He just wanted to test Jesus. Now, this guy, in the ex, he was an expert in religious law. That made him pretty smart. But you know what? Jesus is smarter than he is. I love this. He didn't let this question trip him up. No. So he answers. Jesus answers this question with a question. Can you remember this? We talked about the Socratic method in discipleship last week. So what does Jesus do? He throws the whole situation right back on this expert in religious law. And here's what Jesus says. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answers by summing up the entire law by quoting the two greatest commandments of all time. The first one comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and the second one comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. This is what he says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus tells him that he answered correctly. But Jesus doesn't stop there because it's not enough to just know the answer. We have actually got to live it out Which is why then Jesus tells the man, do this and you will live. That's the promise of the law. If you follow it completely and perfectly, you will live. But none of us can do that. None of us can follow the law perfectly. And that's the point. It's impossible. So that should drive us to seek the mercy of God. Now the man realizes he can't possibly live this out. He cannot live this out like the law requires. So now he looks for some way of an out. He looks for a loophole, something he can do now, something that could give him an excuse for not measuring up to the law's standard. So now all this guy wants to do, he just wants to justify himself. Instead of applying the answer to his own life and then admitting that he can't measure up and then pleading to God for mercy, he opts to try and justify himself. And here's what he asks. He says to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? He's not really interested in who his neighbor is. He's more interested in knowing who his neighbor isn't. Because he knows if he finds out who his neighbor isn't, then he can justify himself according to the law. Now listen, before we start condemning this guy and start calling him a (laughs) dirtbag, we really need to stop and think that we're not much different than he is at times we're not really we always look for the easy way out at least most of us do so to answer the man's question on who is my neighbor jesus responds by telling him the story of the good samaritan so if you've got your bibles luke chapter 10 we're going to look at verses 30 through 37 this is what's referred to as the good samaritan here's what jesus says he says, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed him or departed in leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked, passed by on the other side. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. There is so much in this story for us to learn. So let's try to unpack this together. The distance between Jerusalem and Jericho, it was about 17 miles. It had an elevation drop of about 3,000 feet. And so this road between these two cities was known for how dangerous it was. And the man traveling in this story on that day, he was attacked by robbers, and he was beaten, and he was beaten so badly that they left him there half dead. And the first person to come upon him was a priest. You would think that of all the people in the world, a priest would certainly be one to stop and help. But he doesn't. He passes by the half dead man and continues on his journey. And then a Levite. A Levite comes by, and he does, he does the exact same thing. He passed by on the other side. Now, Levites, these were just the ones who helped the priests in the temple perform their duties. So both of these guys worked in the church. How in the world could they just pass by on the other side? But you see, they're not much different than many of us. There are all kinds of excuses that we can come up with for not showing compassion. It would have been very easy to justify why not to get involved. could be, I'm tired. I'm just ready to get home. Stopping and helping is just an inconvenience. Or, hey, why should I take a chance here? Maybe this is just a setup. And if I stop and help, I'm putting myself at risk. Because maybe who did this to this guy, whoever did this, is going to do that to me. Or, you know what? I'm too busy. Man. Well, that hits close to home, doesn't it? I'm too busy. There are plenty of people who travel this road, so someone else will do it. Someone else can help him. Now, one of the greatest mistakes we can make is responding to people with indifference which is exactly what the priest and the Levite did. Indifference is the absence of feeling or interest. It's where we just don't really care. We just dismiss people and we don't get involved. The most common threat to compassion is not conflict or resentment. It's indifference. Indifference is the enemy to compassion. It's also the exact opposite of Jesus' character. He was full of compassion. He had compassion on those who didn't expect it, on those who didn't deserve it, and on those who could never return it. And that's the point that Jesus makes next in the story of the Good Samaritan. When the Samaritan traveled down that same and dangerous road between Jerusalem and Jericho, he had a much different response than the priest and the Levite who had come before him. When he saw the half-dead man he responded with compassion, not indifference. Out of all the people that Jesus could have chosen to be the hero in this story, he chose a Samaritan. This is really significant because the Jews hated the Samaritans, hated them. So the Samaritan was the least likely to have shown compassion to his neighbor. It was a Jewish expert in the law who asked Jesus the question, Who is my neighbor? Also, the first two men that came down that road and saw the the half-dead man, those were Jews too. Everyone's Jewish so far. Are you following me? Even the half-dead man was believed to be a fellow Jew. So it's potential that all of them were Jews except the Samaritan. The Samaritan loved those who hated him. He risked his own life and he spent his own money two denarii was equal to two days full wages and he paid that. So the investment the Samaritan made on behalf of the half-dead Jew was significant. It cost him a great deal. There was no logical explanation for why the Samaritan would interrupt his own plans for that day and spend his own money to help an enemy who was in need. It just doesn't make any logical sense. But compassion Doesn't need to be logical, nor does it need any reasons to justify itself. Doesn't need to be logical, doesn't need any reasons to justify itself, because compassion is feeling plus action working together to help someone in need. It's us feeling their pain and taking action to help them relieve their pain. This is exactly what the Samaritan did in this story. He had compassion. He interrupted his own journey to take care of this injured man. He patched up his, his wounds and he poured on oil and wine. Now that may sound like a strange mix, oil and wine. But in those days, it was common to use the wine as an antiseptic and the oil to soothe and help heal the wound. He then placed this man on his own animal and took care of him. Notice all the sacrifices that the Samaritan made, right? He did this for his enemy. He sacrificed his time. He sacrificed his own animal for him to ride on. He sacrificed his own resources, his own money. But that's what compassion does. It doesn't look at the cost in a situation because it's more concerned about the cure for the situation. Compassion is not self-centered. It's others-centered. Instead of focusing on how can I benefit myself, compassion asks what must I do To benefit others. I love this quote by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He sums up what compassion looks like. He said, Imagine that the first question the priest and Levite asked was, If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But by the very nature of his concern, the Good Samaritan reversed the question If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? You see, that's what happens to a lot of us. We look at this and think, What will happen to me? But the good Samaritan says, what will happen to him? You see, it's not self-centered, it's others-centered. Compassion rises above self, and it looks to others on how can I help them. And it doesn't try to split hairs like the expert in religious law who said, who is my neighbor? Because that was the wrong question to ask. We shouldn't be trying to escape our responsibility as Christ-followers By saying, who is my neighbor? We should be asking, to whom can I be a neighbor? Or, how can I be a better neighbor? That's really the questions we should be asking. The point Jesus was making in this story is that anyone in need is our neighbor. The expert in religious law wanted to talk about his neighbor generally. But Jesus forced him to think more specifically about a certain man in need. How easy is it for you and I to generalize things? And we can talk at great length about all the problems that people have in the world, but we never do anything specifically to help them so that we can contribute to solving those problems. This story helps to show us that we shouldn't be making excuses for doing nothing. Compassion always does something. Doing nothing can often be easy to justify. But by doing nothing, we lose the opportunity to become better and be good stewards of what God has given us. What kind of witness are we if we respond with indifference instead of with compassion? What kind of witness would we be? Showing compassion, no matter how small or how great, it's never wasted. It all comes back to your perspective. To the robbers in this story, the traveling Jew was a victim to exploit, so they attacked him and took advantage of him. To the priest and the Levite, he was an annoyance to avoid, so they ignored him. But to the Samaritan, he was a neighbor to love, so he showed compassion and he took care of them. And exactly what Jesus said at the end of the story about the Samaritan is exactly what you and I need to do. Go and do likewise. So how can we go and do likewise? How can we be a better neighbor? First... Number one here, if you're taking notes, we need to see through his eyes. We need to see every person we encounter through the eyes of Jesus. We should ask ourselves, how would Jesus see this person? Because if we look with our own eyes, we will most often just see a person's sin. We'll see all their filth and all their faults. And when we do that, it will usually result in us being condemning and judgmental. We can easily justify these feelings too. Oh, they deserve that. Or you know what? They should just help themselves. But one of the greatest things that we often respond with is just indifference. That's a eh, whatever. You follow me? Indifference. That's the enemy of compassion. And that's the most dangerous response of them all. Do you want to come up here? Wanna <laughs> come up here? You could be my buddy. I love this young man. Thank you, dude. If you want to. Do you want to stay up here? It's up to you. You you can hold the Bible for me. I don't care, man. You're welcome to stay up here. Good, you can hold it. Sweet. I might even have you read a scripture too. Will that be cool? Yeah. Okay. We'll do it together. Okay. All right. So we've got to see through Jesus's eyes. That's the whole thing. We've got to see through his eyes. And the second thing that we need to do to be a better neighbor is we've got to get close enough to touch. We've got to get close enough to touch. We've got to be able to touch that need that we see through Jesus's eyes. Compassion is all theory unless we get close enough to touch the need. The, previ- the priest and the Levite in the story that we just unpacked together, they didn't do this. They looked through their own eyes and passed by on the other side. They went out of their way. That's what indifference does. It just dismisses and doesn't get involved. We have got to get close enough to touch the need. And number three, we need to be, to be a better neighbor. We need to be willing to pay the price. To be moved with compassion like Jesus will often cost us. It will cost us our time. We may have to interrupt our schedule. It could cost us our priorities. We may have to shift priorities around to accommodate. It could cost us our finances. We may have to give some of our resources to help someone in need. It could even cost us our reputation, depending upon the situation, right? But we have to ask ourselves, what are we willing to give up to meet the needs of others? Jesus gave up everything for you and I, didn't he? He gave up everything. You know, while we're on that, how about, would you read for Psalm 22 for me? I was just reading this before the service. It wasn't in my notes, you guys. I'm just making this up as we go because I, I have this young man up here, and I thought I've got to do something with him up here. Can you read Psalm 22 for us right here? Just start right here. I'll get you the mic. Is that okay that I interact with a Okay, this doesn't have to be perfect, you know, every service. We just worship the Lord and follow his lead. All right, here you go. Psalm 22. We're just talking about Jesus gave up everything for you and I. Psalm 22. Here you go, buddy.
1: For, sorry. Wait, okay. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and my words of groaning? groaning. Mm-hmm. My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. By, but you are holy, endurance, sorry, enthroned on the praises of Israel. For our Father trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They they cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced.
0: That's it. Thank you you did a great job thanks for coming up so that psalm is really the words of Jesus although David wrote it if you think about it he's saying my God my God why have you forsaken me that's what Jesus said as he hung on the cross it's just a reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus made for all of us he did that out of compassion because you know what he is compassion in the flesh Jesus is Out of compassion, he made alive those who were dead. Out of compassion, he made the blind be able to see. Out of compassion, he healed those who were sick. Out of compassion, he set free those who were held hostage. And out of compassion, God became a man, just like you and I, with flesh and blood, in the person of Jesus Christ. He was fully God, and he was fully man. And he was tempted, just like you and I were, but he never sinned. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be healed. And he died on the cross so that you and I could live. His entire life, from his birth all the way to his death, was all about compassion. He always got close enough to touch the need, no matter what it was. And he was always willing to pay the price. And he proved it by his death on the cross for our sins and his resurrection from the dead. That's what brings spiritual life for everyone who believes in him. So you and I need to go and do likewise. We need to show compassion just like he did. We need to see beyond the surface by looking through and seeing through his eyes. And when we do that, we'll be able to see the real need. And then we need to get close enough to be able to touch the need in people's lives. And lastly, we need to be willing to disrupt our own schedule. We need to be willing to disrupt our own priorities, our finances. It may even cost us our reputation. But we've got to be willing to pay the price. So we never ask, who is my neighbor? We ask, how can I be a better neighbor? That's the question we should be asking. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are compassion. This is how we're to live our lives, just like you did. And you modeled that for us so perfectly. Lord, sometimes we can get so busy in our lives and so focused on us that we don't look out and we see the needs in other people. Lord, I pray right now that you would embolden us, encourage us to see people's physical needs, their emotional needs, and their spiritual needs and that we would live it out representing you the way that we know we need to. And I just pray right now, Father, there's someone here that needs compassion, that's hurting, that's going through some tough times, and they need people to come around and help shore them up, Lord. You just help them to be encouraged that we're a family here, and we love on one another. That's what we do. And so, Father, I just pray for that and for others that are here. Maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Christ. He is a compassionate God. He wants to love you and make your life uh, anew again. I think about what Ashton said when he was up here, Lord, just hearing the innocence of a child utter the words, you know, wanting to publicly profess their faith and be cleansed of their sin. It's just so encouraging to see that. And I pray if there's someone here today that you draw them to you in such a way, Father, they don't leave this room, this living room, before they commit their lives to you. Thank you, Father, for all you've done. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So if you're here and you need prayer, whatever it is, I want to encourage you to come forward. We will be happy to pray for you. If you're here and you're unsure of your salvation, let's get sure about that today. Let's talk about that. So I love you guys. God bless you. Have a great day.